Come on, don't bullshit me. I'm Justin Lassick. And I'm Mike Badalino. And you're listening to 70s Big Radio. Your friends on your drive to your nine to five. Five! Bienvenidos a la cita del amor. How's it going, Mike? Mike. Come on, don't on? bullshit me. It's, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's a uh, new year. It's uh, January 12th, 2014. Wherever you may be in the world, thank you for listening to the 70s Big Podcast. And uh, how are your holidays, Mike? Oh, just super. I went to Florida for a few days and did some training with some friends, and then I came back. Uh, and my wife is uh, shocked that you, the, the amount of food that you eat, that you aren't weighing like 380 pounds. I don't eat that much, do I? I don't know. She really think I Maybe eat that when much? you, tra- I think it's when you travel, you post pictures of you eating a fuck ton of food. Well, I mean, if I only eat like three times a day, then I need to increase the calories per meal. How many times do you normally eat per day? Six, I think. I think six. Six? 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 I re- See, now that I said six, I really wish we had AC right now so he could do the Joker the Joker voice. Do you know what I'm referencing? No. Let's move on. So, uh... Uh, are you serious? <laughs> the hell with this. So, uh... Someone will, someone will get that. Talk, yeah, about, talk about this deadlift. This 420 kilo deadlift. This raw make deadlift. Me. Ma- make me. Thank no, you. that's that. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Uh, you're talking about Eddie Hall, right? Yeah, we put it on the fan page, um, and uh, we uh, got it so that we can play the audio so that you guys can hear it. If you haven't seen this video, um, exp- talk about like explain who Eddie Hall is and talk about his physique real quick. So Eddie Hall is a uh, British strongman who is uh, pretty ridiculously strong. I don't think he's made the finals. And world's strongest man before, but he's he's been to worlds a couple times, uh, and his static strength is pretty insane. Uh, I'm really impressed by the 925 deadlift, uh, but I'm almost more impressed by the fact that he did a 430 pound log strict. I mean that's 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 ludicrous because I don't know. I bet maybe Zavikas could probably do it, but I don't know that anyone else has ever done that. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah, 400 overhead strict is uh, fucking crazy. But, and it didn't uh, look that hard. And I think he tried, uh, I think he tried 205 kilos right after that, and barely missed it. All right, so I'm gonna but, play. Uh, I'm gonna play uh, the video from the deadlift. So you guys, okay? He's. Uh, I don't know how much he weighs. How much does he weigh, Mike? Do you know? Just somewhere, a little bit north of 300. I don't know how. No, he, how much over 300. He, he looks like he weighs at least 330, and uh, he doesn't look. He doesn't look very tall. I don't know how much he weighs, but he's pretty he's pretty stocky. He's got a big power belly, but all right, here here's his deadlift. He's listening to techno music. Here it goes. So he's uh, real excited. Uh, he's real excited when he fucking locks the thing out because he has a, he has a little bit of a of a not of a jerky lockout, but he fucking pulls it right oh, here. Fuck yeah. and he's holding fuck it. Yeah. He throws it down. Like fucking weight. And he says like was... fucking weight. So you gotta. He. I don't know. I like him. I don't know. Another cool him. thing about Eddie Hall is that he, uh, when he first started training for strongman, and he hasn't. I don't think he's been doing it very long. I mean, I'm saying like less than probably less than five years. But uh, for a long time, he would show up to competitions. And he would have not trained with any of the implements because he just trained in a commercial gym. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of events where, like, uh, 
Colin Bryce would be like, uh, here's Eddie Hall coming up, and I don't know that he's ever done this before, but he's going to go ahead and give it a shot. It, it's, it's pretty funny. I don't know. Uh, he, I mean, obviously now he's got his own log, so uh, or wherever he's training, he's got logs. To put stone, that in perspective, so. like uh, strongman is very implement dependent. Like it's very uh, sport specific, you could say. And each competition notifies you of what is going to be in that competition beforehand. So you specifically train for these events leading into it. Although between strongman competitions, they can be different. So that's that's kind of like someone. Uh, I don't know. I can't really. It's it's kind of like not really snatching and clean jerking before you go and snatch and clean jerk in a weightlifting competition. It's just kind of. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it was even like I watched the uh, Europe's Strongest Man from 2012, so less than two years ago, and that was one of the events where Colin Bryce said, "Yeah, you know Eddie just trains at a regular commercial gym, and here he is coming out here to do the the press medley with the uh, the circus dumbbell, the axle, and then the uh, I think the last one was a metal block, but." Hey, real quick before we move on, Justin. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that like Strongman, uh, HIT Strongman, he used to have a YouTube channel. He used to be, he's pretty much one of the only people that uploads all the obscure Strongman competitions yeah. as well as the bigger ones. Uh, he moved all his stuff to dailymotion.com because YouTube kept uh, like flagging him for copyright violations. So if you go to Daily Motion and search HIT Strongman, uh, he's moved most of his stuff over there. You can check it out. Sweet, yeah. So if you're sitting there eating dinner and you're forever alone, you can watch Strongman instead of porn or whatever else you're watching. I don't do that. Anyway. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying the listener because they clearly are if they're listening to us. It was implied. Anyway, should we do a question? Uh, Come on. Don't bullshit me. Hey, I'm a police officer. Uh, yeah. Okay. You're, let's, you're uh, not a police officer. I know that for a fact. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. All right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to jump right into questions because uh, we want to knock the rust off of uh, from doing uh, these podcasts. Um, from not doing the podcast, that is. We had a little bit of a break. We're going to try and do them a little more regularly. Um, it's hard to get it done, like both of our schedules and then uh, working full time and a uh, real uh, time demanding job that I'm in. So we're going to try and do them regularly, but we're going to jump right into questions and uh, get it going. So First uh, question is, uh, do we need a tetanus shot? For all that rest. Okay, let's go to the second question. That was Mike's okay. question, apparently. Uh, How do, all right, so he's having Matt, a great, we're having a great time already. So Matt Matt Fit asks, "How do uh, put powerlifting and Olympic lifting in one program?" Oh, uh, yeah, he clearly wrote sh- this. He clearly wrote this from a mobile phone. You can tell. It's just via mobile, yeah. You can tell when, like, uh, shit doesn't make sense in the sentence and then random words are capitalized. <laughs> like, all right, basically, he's trying to ask, like, uh, how you put powerlifting and Olympic lifting into one program. And so I would uh, I would steer someone that wants to do that to uh, a program I wrote. Um, oh, I should have prepared the link. Uh, it's on 70s Big. And uh, basically, it's a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday type split. And on uh, Monday and Thursday, you do the Olympic lifts, and then Tuesday and Friday, you do the strength training. So essentially, like you're when you're fresh, you're doing the Olympic lifts, and then the next day, you're doing some strength training. So it's kind of like a standard linear progression on thir- uh, Tuesday and Friday, and then Monday and Thursday are kind of like a a linear progression on your on your Olympic lifts, but. Um, you can you can put the emphasis to have like on Monday's session you're gonna focus on going pushing the snatch up and then you're gonna just do some singles across on some sort of timer with the clean and jerk and uh, 
on Thursday it would be the the opposite. So that's that's a way that you can kind of get both of them in. But I always urge people to uh, kind of ease into this type of programming because if you're not used to doing the Olympic lifts on a regular basis and if your joints aren't up to it, like because if you're if you're not really doing them at all and you jump into a, like a four day a week program, then you can run into some trouble. So obviously standard stuff applies like dual mobility and all that shit. But it's still you can put some. Uh, um, assistance exercises in and it, 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 it was a nice little progression and I actually used it when I was uh, competing in 2010 I did it and I pushed like my snatch closer to 130 by doing it and then I pushed my clean jerk closer to 160 I only did like 157 uh, at nationals and uh, didn't really hit anything decent at nationals but I was also lifting really inefficiently back then um, especially with the snatch but that being said like it was a good little program uh, for someone who was a beginner like me and it still allows for uh, some jacked and uh, strength training to go along with it all right let me see if I can find the link while you're reading the second question Josh asks ask no, I don't know why I said it like that Josh s asks if upper back an upper back training program that won't limit the main lifts or in other words how much volume can an average lifter expect to train their upper back and without limiting them on their next workout interesting you want to you want to tag it first uh my question is just what is the what's the reason that he thinks is is there a what's the pro is that aesthetic i mean does he want a huge upper back or does he for some reason think his upper back is really weak oh. or I'm going to go ahead and say that like most people um, have weaker, like their upper body, their upper back, or their back and then their uh, hamstrings are usually weak and then their arms are typically not filled out after they do a linear progression. So, okay. um, so when I saw this, I mean, he's basically just saying like, what assistance can I do for my back? And stuff for your upper back is going to be pull-ups. Chins. Uh, rows, chins, or you could even do like reverse flies or, or reverse... Uh, band pulls so I mean and and one, don't forget one arm dumbbell rows yeah that too I mean so it's basically like any any rowing movement and if your back is not very big then you need to do those things because like a lifter is going to be defined by the strength of their back even for like a, someone who wants to snatch clean jerk or, or, or just press and squat and pull because those are the things that make you strong those are the things that are going to result in this stuff but it's never going to hurt to do those movements so I mean like when you guys are wondering like what the fuck to do for a body part or something, just start doing it, and then if it interferes with your shit, then you'll know. You'll then, know. Yeah, you'll know, and then if it, then you can say, okay, well maybe I shouldn't do that much of it, or maybe I should do something else. So like at the very least, you can add in some like reverse flies or something. But the thing is, like if you aggressively want to grow that area, then you need to fucking hit it. And so um, I'm not a fan of upright rows because of the uh, internal rotation it puts on the shoulder and like the the acromioclavicular stress. So that's like there are better exercises. <laughs> yeah, and there's better exercises for your upper back, your deltoids, and your traps. So like, um, just basically stick to the rowing stuff and then uh, this the reverse fly type stuff. Um, going back to the previous question, if you uh, search uh, Olympic lifting on 70s big then it'll pull it up and the article is called transitioning to Olympic weightlifting and I it's it's one of the it's the second or third time I alluded to this template um, that I just talked about in the first question so transitioning to Olympic weightlifting and that'll bring up uh, kind of an elaboration on all the shit I talked about a second ago but 
Yeah, that dude, like, instead of worrying about, like, like, don't do too much, but do something if you want to grow that area. I don't know. It's just... I mean, if he's training three or four days a week, he could, he might even be able to get away with doing something at the end of every workout. Yeah. You know, and, with, and that, without interfering. And Dr. Hartman um, wrote an article that it's more for weightlifting, but he was talking about, like, doing rows at the end of every single training session for, like, four to eight weeks to grow, like, your back, for instance. And it was just, like, just by sheer volume over time, like, you're getting extra work on this area. And so, like, that's one approach is just to do it every single time if that's, an, if that's a body part or, or area that you really want to hit. So that's, like, another uh, way to do it that Dr. Hartman wrote about. Florian asks, in the Paleo for Lifters Q&A, you, you talked about conditioning for leaning out. It says, and he quotes you saying, or Dr. Kilgore, uh, how the conditioning is programming will be key. How would you program the conditioning in combination with 531? Yeah, so that was uh, for Paleo for Lifters. So, uh, he wants to, yeah, how to put how to put conditioning with 531, basically. And so we talk about like conditioning and fit, and so that's the one Dr. Kilgore and I wrote, which is on Amazon. But, um, so my, the way that I would use conditioning. Okay, some people look at like nutrition as the only thing that drives like a body composition improvement. And like my philosophy is that like, yeah, it does, but also by doing high intensity conditioning, that has a significant effect. So the first thing I would say is that use high intensity conditioning as opposed to like long slow distance training or just uh, fa like fasted cardio. I'm, I used to try and implement that to, I even tried to have like you and Chris do it and we found out that it just sucks for a variety of reasons and it's not really effective for the sake of performance like it might be good for people that don't aren't concerned with performance and are only concerned with aesthetics but that's not what we do so i always say that like using conditioning but when i say the conditioning needs to be programming well then i'm saying like use high intensity conditioning and not in a retarded way so <laughs> so using a lot of musculature in a given workout so that you're using a lot of energy so that you're basically creating an adaptive stress that your body's not used to so that the result is your body has to have a systemic adaptation and usually or no all the time when you do high intensity conditioning the systemic adaptation is to lower body fat because of how much uh it boosts the metabolism as a result of doing high intensity so um my typical for lifters specifically my typical recommendation is to not really go over 10 minutes for high intensity conditioning and uh, I'll stand by that for lifters. And if you're talking about um, some athletes or soldiers or something, then that time frame is going to change, and the and the the mode of of conditioning is going to change, like what they actually do. But uh, just just throwing in high intensity conditioning, and for lifters that could be barbell complexes, it could just be calisthenics, um, it could be like bur just burpees, it could be like doing tabatas, it could be getting on an exercise bike and doing Tabatas or like a, an Airdyne or using the rower and doing sprints on that or jump roping or any of that shit because conditioning is relative to what you're currently adapted to. So you don't need to do, um, you don't need to do like uh, a sprint Tabata on an incline treadmill running if you haven't really done any conditioning at all. Cause that's like the work, that's like the hardest, most stressful thing you could possibly do in a short amount of time to, Put a high stress on your body so like just do like if you're not used to, if you're not doing any conditioning just pick something and you know you'll you'll figure it out by how you feel just don't push it too hard because you shouldn't be vomiting and stuff but that's a a fucking huge digression so 
You digress. You digress. Hmm. Mm. All right. John asks, what is the importance of static stretching versus myofascial release work? What would indicate making static stretching more of a priority for some athletes? I saw, I can't remember who said it, but it was a, like a month or so ago that, I think it was Wendler wrote just a basic article that wasn't that profound, but he was basically like, I'm going back to like old school training. And uh-huh. uh, he was like, one of his points was like, static stretching can do something. You know, and so like back, I bet when he was playing football, he probably static stretched and lifted hard and sprinted and he like got better for football, you know? So like now we know more about how to take care of the body. And so myofascial release work, or I'm just gonna kind of lump that into the category of soft tissue work is something that uh, is important and can be highly effective. And sometimes it can be used erroneously in the same way that some stretching can be used erroneously. So I've got a lot of PT friends that disagree with a lot of like the mobility stuff out there, but then at the same time, like a lot of it is good. So it it always depends is like the thing that we talk about on, on this website. But uh, in this case, my general recommendation is doing soft tissue work on the area and then stretching it. And so it, it depends on what you're trying to do on how you go about that. So I can't really dive into specificity or the specifics of what you should be doing because it, it depends. So like generally speaking though, if you roll it out or do some like general soft tissue work on it and then stretch it and you are consistent with that, you can, you can uh, alleviate your problems and then you can help prevent your problems in the future by improving or fixing your mechanics in a, your actual movement, whether it's lifting or running or whatever. You ready? What I got? Next one? Yeah. <laughs> Kyle T asks, how to correct proper form in the overhead push press and the snatch position. My issue is that when I come to a fully extended position overhead, my left shoulder is slightly coming forward and leaves me with some nagging elbow pain, specifically in the snatch. I know that when I have an internal rotation slash pec minor release done prior to lifting, the movements feel much better and are much more stabilized. Any insight in this would be great. I know a couple of people that have had this issue in the past, but they have worked through it and it's led to other injuries. If it's possible, I would like to figure out some corrective movements to do for this issue and prevent that from happening. Do you understand? I'm not sure what he means. I do, yeah. Okay, you do know what he means? The second part? So he, uh, his last part is basically saying, like, some people have had this issue and they have Uh not addressed it, and then they had an injury as a result of it. Oh, they worked through it. Gotcha. Okay. And they they got hurt. Gotcha. Um, So correcting, so he's basically saying, like, how to improve overhead push, overhead position in general. And so, like, if you have, your shoulder has different movements that include flexion and extension and so a lot of people can miss flexion and so things that can prevent flexion are things that do shoulder extension so like if the lats are tight they will prevent the shoulder from getting into full flexion where if you're standing up straight and you're in good anatomical position and your humerus goes straight up into the air like a lot of people have their humerus or in other words their upper arm or just their entire arm will be inclined forward because they can't make it go vertical and so there's a lot of shit that can go into that, and so I'm not gonna hit it all up in the this answer, but like T-spine area is usually like something to address with uh, flexion issues, um, the lat, and uh, you have the rhomboids and the traps, and basically everything that, it, that can attach on that scapula can limit its range of motion. And then when you talk about overhead position, um, 
for the snatch, it introduces a whole another dynamic because it's like it has to you have to have that all that violent hip extension you have to like snap into place and hold it there as you're recovering from an overhead squat but the dynamics of going down to the bottom of an overhead squat will limit your shoulder range of motion so if you have bad hip mobility or ankle mobility and all that shit it can make your sh shoulder stuff it can exacerbate them essentially so this is a loaded question and i don't see kyle in front of me so i can't like address his mobility issues but um, what he does know is that he has a shoulder issue on his left side, so his left side's coming forward. So that makes me think it's internally rotating, and so then instead of the force transferring through his elbow as like a solid structure, it's like putting pressure on what I assume is his medial elbow or like the part that faces the front uh, when you're snatching. And so um, if he knows that it gets better when he uh, works on his internal rotators and his pec minor, which is an internal rotator, then he needs to keep doing that and make sure he does it not only before he trains, but also throughout the day of every day, if this is something he does regularly. So other hip, other internal rotators are gonna include the, the pec major. Um, you can actually work on that by working a, like a lacrosse ball, leaning into it closer to the uh, to your sternum, like the sternal border of your pec major. And that's actually pretty painful if you've never done it, Mike. Uh, like, it can free up the, some of that stuff, and people who round their shoulders naturally with bad posture will benefit from that. Um, uh, the subscapularis is actually something that's an internal rotator, but that's kind of hard to get to, but it'll, it'll be too complicated to try and describe it over um, this, this audio file, but you can work on your subscapularis a little bit, but it's kind of hard, but um, doing stuff that opens up the internal rotators would help him and so that's all I can really say But like overall shoulder mobility needs to be addressed Which is going to go to t-spine and then you might want to look at what's going on at your hips um, If you can get proper external rotation in your hips and and all the way down the chain But yeah, you don't want to try and increase weight and just pound a bunch of reps if you're having issues with that area and to just to continue without addressing mobility or mechanics issues would be erroneous so um, side note, Mike. When we talked, we you we talked about it a little bit. Um, Sidebar. All right. About that one uh, dude that was on All Things Gym who talked about going to China and how the, oh, all the Chinese coaches talk. Larry. About, Larry from Canada. Yeah, who's always smiling in his pictures. Um, <laughs> he he talks that they all teach to internally rotate at the top of the. Ro and I'm not going to get into that here. Um, I don't know how I feel about that yet. I have to think about it some more. But I find it interesting. But. Um, I don't think I don't know that Kyle should start playing around with what he was taught for his overhead position unless he was not taught something or taught something retarded, I guess. So that's that's all a big if because I don't know who taught him stuff or how he learned. So um, you're just trying to be as efficient as possible. And, and uh, but right now, the first thing he definitely can do is work on his mobility stuff. And he knows that it helps. So keep doing that. Uh, so the. Next question is, can grunting actually increase your strength? And I'd actually like to answer this one, Justin. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I think it was a study done at the John F. Ke John F. Kennedy School of uh, Government at Harvard that actually said that grunting increases uh, your strength between, I think it's 110 and 115%. Uh, is that true? or? Um, well, at the grunting does help you increase your intrathoracic and abdominal pressure. And I think there's some studies done on that, although I'm not like a guy oh, that memorizes it? research and stuff, but. It wasn't at the JFK School of Government at Harvard? 
possibly could have been. I don't know. But I know I've seen some studies on it, and I think Chris may have cited some in his... Uh... I was just trolling you. Okay, whatever. But but it fucking does, because, like, you... Uh, you it does, at, you're right. You look at the right. Kai. I think it's called Kai in martial arts, and basically it's when you make a forced exhalation at the point of impact. There's a re. It's, like... It's not, it's might be terrifying and stuff to your enemy if you're doing shit like that, but what it's actually doing is it's increasing the intra-abdominal and thoracic pressure at that moment of impact so that you're stabilizing your trunk and therefore transmitting more force into the opponent. And so the same thing happens in weightlifting. Um, you'll see it a lot of times in more like the Olympian, the Olympic caliber that actually go to the Olympics where they'll have, when they do their second pull, they'll like do a, like a hoot or a... Or the usually you see it in the girls like they make like a really loud noise, and also you see the same thing in tennis. Going back, you know, thinking about ah, like that kind of what, stuff. What but, about Street Fighter? Um, what about the Hadouken? There's the Hadouken, but see the Hadouken. He's actually if he's doing that, then he's he's uh, increasing his intra-abdominal and thoracic pressure because he's shooting a bunch of energy out of his hands because he's not actually making contact with the opponent when he does that. He's just creating a ball of energy and shooting it. So maybe he needs to because the the ball of energy is so great that he has to stabilize himself with his feet on the ground and his trunk solid so that he can shoot that ball of energy. So that's a that's good a point. Reason, that's a reasonable conjecture right there. But uh, okay. so yeah, like the guttural thing. It also aside from that, and I think I've written an article on this, is that what it does is that it per, can help prevent you from passing out too. So you see a lot of uh, weightlifters that do it as they're like recovering from a heavy clean or a squat. And so what you're doing is you're 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 releasing some of the volume of air, but you're at the same time you're doing it against a closed glottis uh, in your throat, or against like your your tongue against your teeth in the case that's but a closed glottis is like that. So you're increasing the pressure, but you're letting a little bit of the volume out so that you can prevent yourself from passing out. Because if you get too much pressure built up and you don't relieve it, then you can start to black out, which I've done before uh, at a meet. It's fine. I used to do that with yoke when I first started carrying the yoke. I used to have that issue. Of blacking out? Yeah, and then I, I, I started doing the, tss, tss, you know, slow or quickly exhaling just a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I stopped passing out or almost passing out. Yeah, so you're able to – you're still able to maintain the pressure or even increase it for that moment that you're making the noise, but you're letting out some of the total volume so that you can relieve that overall uh, pressure after the, the noise is over. So – so does it increase the strength? Like it's going to help on that particular moment of that particular lift for the sake of stability. And stability in lifting is strength. So you could say that if it's used properly, then it can increase strength. Win. His name's Win Ing. So That's a sweet name. It's obviously not his real name. I hope, like. I hope it's real. It's not. It it very well could be. Dream Stomper. Okay. Jay asks. In regards to paleo for lifters, how do you determine your necessary carb intake? I realize you suggest 100 grams as a base, but calculators tend to suggest 250 to 300 grams for maintenance. Is this like a TI-84 calculator? Yeah, I think it's a TI-89. Oh, okay, Raj, okay. Here it's staples. Uh, and gaining respectively, uh, with 80 to 100 of fat being consistent across both goals. And this had three likes, Justin. Three likes. So you know it's good. So we know that others are interested. All right, Paleo for Lifters, which, by the way, did you know, like, um, one of the editors of Bodybuilding.com put my my book on, like, the list of Paleo books to get? 
I didn't know that, no. Yeah, I just saw it recently. My mom actually found it, and he wrote that, like, back in July, and I had never seen that. And, Dad? Uh, yeah, so, let's see. So, Paleo for Lifters is, like, kind of me taking the paleo methodology and applying it for the sake of lifting and performance. And so I, I list that 100 grams should be used as a minimum to prevent the body from going into ketosis because ketosis is a state in which it's starting to break down stuff other than carbohydrates in order to uh, keep blood sugar levels high enough to feed glucose to the brain. And so you don't function as well on it and you certainly don't perform as well. Um, so Jay is saying that calculators, I don't know what, like, what calculators means, but uh, they suggest 250 to 300 grams uh, of carbohydrates. My fitness pal? I don't know. My fitness pal, maybe? And then 80 to 100 grams of fat. And so I'm not going to go ahead and look at the ratio of this, but like that's kind of a standard ratio that is a little skewed towards carbohydrates. And that's kind of more of a conventional nutrition thing. So what my book doesn't do is says eat exactly this. It provides like a guideline so that you can... Uh, have minimums on what you should be eating for each thing and then you tweak it based on like your performance or how you feel and shit like that because I don't think that people should be going into their diets with the intention of eating some exact precise amount of food every day because it's not realistic to maintain for the rest of your life um, and it's not fun and it's weird and it kind of caters to eating disorders and weird shit like that so like he doesn't really have he doesn't really say like what he's training for like i know jay personally so i know he's just training to like probably be strong and to uh to have low body fat and stuff like that so like should he be eating more than 100 grams yeah ideally when you're doing performance-based stuff and what i talk about in the book is the more uh active you are in your training and in your job or whatever then the more carbs you're going to need to fuel that stuff so i mean i'm going to do the cop-out thing because it's what my book is all about is like no, I, I can't tell you exactly how many you eat, but like 300 grams, like that's probably going to be high, but it depends on the person's insulin sensitivity and it depends on like, it depends on if they're fat or if they're not. So like he might be able to get by with 200 grams. So like Jay is like a 200, maybe 210 pound dude. He's probably more like 190 to 210. I don't know, somewhere in there. So he needs to be getting, uh, let's say he needs to get 250 grams of protein. So that's four calories per gram of protein. So that's a thousand right there, right? And then uh, if he was going to do this recommendation of 250 grams of carbs, that's um, 250 times 4 because 4 calories for carbohydrates, that's another that's another 1, thousand. thousand. So that's a one-to-one -one ratio is protein to carbs, which isn't all that bad. And then uh, if he's going to get 100 grams of fat per whatever calculator he's looking at, that's 9 calories per gram. And so he's looking at 900. So that's 2,900 uh, calories right there where everything is kind of like – it's close to a one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one ratio. And so I don't have a problem with that if he's going 250, but what I would encourage him to do more is kind of like either make it equal in each meal or try and push his carbs to one part of the day than the other. And I kind of talk about that briefly in the book. Like I kind of used to do a thing where I had more carbs in the morning and then not really in the afternoon at night. And I kind of do that now just so that I can keep my overall carb count down because that, and uh, some people do it at night now, and that's called carb backloading, and some people like it. And I think basically, like, either way, your body's gonna get adapted to it, and you're just basically clumping your carb intake to like an eight hour period, and then you're gonna have the rest of the 24 hours in the day without, or limited carbs, and 
that's going to have some sort of hormonal effect that'll facilitate body fat loss. So that's the kind of stuff I talk about in the book. So, I mean, the book's not exact. You just got to do it, you know. Just do it. Can you play the, uh, can we get the sound soundboard? Oh, I fucking axed out because it kept bringing up ads. Uh uh He's talking about the Arnold soundboard that we had open earlier. The do it, do it now. Or if it bleeds, we can kill it. Anyway, Matt asks, how to drop down to a lower weight class without sacrificing strength? Oh, yeah, in less than a month. I'd like to feel this one, Justin. Yeah, do it. Uh, what I would do is, if I would, if I was Matt, is I would go to the website of the whatever federation he's competing in, weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman, whatever. I would get the meet director's phone number, and I would call him, and I would say, I'm moving up a weight class. Uh, I don't really suggest that most I mean here's the thing if you're uh, if you're a novice or you're new to competing there's really no reason that just go and show up and compete what you with uh, you know what you weigh okay don't worry about uh, what you're gonna weigh in on the meet day unless you're you know unless you can't switch for whatever reason uh, and most of the time you can unless you're going to like the Arnold or something uh, like remember Chris's first meet when we went to Texas State when Chris was so stressed out about making weight that he was seven pounds under. Remember that? Yeah. He was supposed to be 275, and he was weighing in like 276 throughout the week. So he, he didn't eat anything. Basically, the night before, he had like a steak and some water and then woke up, and he was 268. So uh, it's not worth stressing out about unless you're going for like a world record or, you know, Man, this is my last year of eligibility as a junior. I really want to set the state record in this weight class. Uh, in most instances, it's not really worth it. So, Justin? Yeah, I mean, because if he was uh, in a position to do well in a weight class or whatever, he'd probably be experienced enough where he would know how to do this anyway. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like if, if Brooks Conway was going to do this. Which he would he, know what, yeah. Yeah, if he was like if he wasn't going to fit in the 83 or whatever the fuck class it is now, if he was too heavy, then he would know how to get down there in a month. And basically you can adjust your carbohydrates and kind of do a water cut the week of, but yeah. which there's an article by Brooks on the website about that. But um, Matt didn't provide what his current weight is and what he needs to be anyway, so he apparently isn't that concerned with getting our opinion on it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, same thing with Mike. I mean, Mike just said it. Like, there's no reason to do it unless there's some sort of implication online, like a bet or something with a buddy, or you're trying to set a state record. Qualify so, for uh, another meet or something. You know, you have to be in that weight class yeah. to qualify. And and usually you can clean if you're like if you're asking that question, then I would doubt that your diet is cleaned up anyway. So you could probably just go paleo and have one or two sweet potatoes a day, and probably lose probably lose body fat and probably lose excess water weight because you're going to improve like your electrolyte balance to, in a way that's not going to conserve water so that you're not going to you're not going to be conserving sodium and shit like that and you'll pee it out and and so on so like it sounds like you shouldn't be that concerned like that concerned about it just go lift and have fun all right this next question is definitely tailored to justin jose asks can you talk more about your experience with GoRuck? I read your blog post. Just want to hear more about your training that you were doing leading up to it. Um, I'm gonna keep the, I'm gonna keep this kind of brief, which is probably gonna be an ironic statement. Um, but um, I've walked 
I've walked 16 miles up and down a mountain with like 18, uh, I'm sorry, 8,000 feet of elevation change total. And I've done that twice. I've climbed like a bunch of mountains and stuff in Utah and, and I've walked 20 miles. I've done, uh, I've walked 12 miles at various points. Uh, so I've done a lot of uh, walking with uh, weight on my back for uh, kind of the sake of doing it and the sake of exploring. Um, so for the go ruck though, I was at the time just kind of walking and, and kind of hiking once a week or so. And then I was like doing strength training and I didn't really do any kind of conditioning leading up to it. And I kind of I paid for that a little bit because I was really sore afterwards <laughs> and really tired because it's a pain in the ass. Um, so, I mean, I, my recommendation anybody want to do the go ruck is not really different than what was in those articles. So it's basically walk with weight on your back, get your feet conditioned if you're worried about it. Um, a lot of people just wore um, like cross, like kind of a, a trail running shoes with hard treads and stuff. And, and I actually wore some, uh, some actual hiking boots and stuff. So, and I didn't have any feet problems. So um, I was walking in just regular, uh, some cheap boots though, when I was just doing all that walking. Um, so the point is, is like uh, the go rec is not really something you train for per se, other than getting weight on your back. Cause if you're not used to the weight on your back, then that can be significant. But at the same time, when you get weight on your back and then you also are carrying people or you're carrying objects like tree logs or uh, other people with their rucks or, um, things you have to make to move around um, that stuff makes your ruck feel very light <laughs> and you're doing it's like it's gonna suck so it's not really much training you can do for it and you don't really do it for the sake of like trying to be trying to achieve some sort of performance measure you're doing it just to kind of complete it anyway and you're doing it for the experience and there's a lot of team building to the go ruck so you're not really doing it for much more than that so do some uh, do some running, do some uh, like rucking and then lifting and then uh, and then calisthenics. But the whole point is for them to train like they're going to um, make you do a bunch of stuff that is going to tire you out very much and then make you have to do a bunch of more stuff for the next 12 hours. And so there's not really anything you can do to like be more awesome at that. Like everybody's going to suck regardless of your ability. So that's all I'll say about that. All right. Funny. Well, you'll like the story, Justin. So uh, when Justin lived in Texas, he definitely interacted with them more. But we have uh, a couple of friends here, Alan and Joran. You remember them, Justin? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Alan is sweet. He looks like Chuck Liddell, and uh, <laughs> Joran's pretty badass too. He looks. I mean, he doesn't. He looks like he's like 25, and he's what mid 30s. I mean, he looks really young. Uh, he's like early anyway, 30s. so they both did. Uh, I think it was. I, run, I seem to run into them around town probably twice a year or so. And I ran into Alan, uh, I think it was, in, it must have been in 2012, and he was talking about how he, he had done a go-ruck with Joran, and now Joran's like, the hell with this, we're never doing it again, forget it. And uh, I didn't see him for a while, and, and then I saw Alan again, he's like, yeah, I'm still pretty into it, I th I'm thinking about doing another one. And then I went to uh, the, uh, the Falls Fest Highlander, you know, the Highland Games strongman that we had in town, and out, both Alan and Joran came. And I, I was talking to Alan, and he was like, yeah, uh, I did the go-ruck heavy. And I'm like, are you serious? The 24-hour one? Or, like, are you insane? He's like, yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was pretty you know it was pretty crazy, but, you know, now I've done all three of them except for – well, I don't know that he did the go-ruck light, but I think he's done a couple go-rucks, go and then now he's done the go-ruck heavy. But he said that uh, 
the morning of the Go Ruck Heavy, or whenever he was going out to do it, uh, Joran wasn't going to do it with him. And he was just going to go by himself. And then I guess as he was leaving his house, uh, Joran drove up and he's like, all right, man, let's go. He's like, I thought you weren't going. He's like, nah, the hell with it. Let's just do it. So I thought that was pretty cool. So they stuck together and they did the Go Ruck Heavy together, which is to me is insane. 24 hours? That's Uh, crazy, dude. Yeah, especially of your own volition. But, I mean, like, uh, you know, I guess I can see, like, how someone wants to, like, have that huge challenge. Um, Not to talk about their personal life, but, like, uh, Jorn has more of a desk job. I guess they they both kind of are at this point where they have desk jobs. So they, uh, it's probably like I, they always train together hard in the gym too, and I would, uh, and I would always chat with them about training when I was uh, running Rips Gym, and they were uh, they were always into stuff. And I remember uh, Alan, I coached them both at their first powerlifting meet, and actually your first meet, wasn't it? Yeah, Texas State. Yeah, so I, I coached all all them with you guys, and uh, so they're always like willing to try stuff out. So that's cool that they did that. Yeah, I thought it was also pretty cool that they stuck together, even though he uh, he didn't think he was going to come. I bet you that fucking eight hours in, he was like, what the fuck did I decide to come here for? <laughs> He's like, this is bullshit. I think I think Alan likes it a lot more than Jordan does. That's the impression that I got. Yeah, and Alan's like, ah, he must be, I mean. He's he in his are, 40s. He was around, yeah, he was around right? 40 back then, and he was doing like, I remember he was doing 5-3-1 and really liked that program back yeah, when he was I was already, still there. He was a master's competitor that first competition, I think. And that was four years ago, so. Yeah, he pulls over and, 500, and it, I think. Or hopefully, he won't, he, hopefully he doesn't listen to this and he's like, you sons of bitches. I'm, <laughs> only, I'm only 38. <laughs> no, he's going to be like 41 or 42. It's, it's the beard. They're fucking awesome guys, yeah. Really great guys, yeah. He still has his original 70s big shirt Sweet. in a lot better in a lot better condition than, than ours are. <laughs> uh, the, we have a question from Kyle. Uh, and he asks, are farmer's walk an acceptable or useful for form of conditioning? And if so, how would you program them? Uh, I really like farmer's walks. Uh, obviously, I have to do them in competition. That's why I do them more often. But, yeah, I would say they're an acceptable form of conditioning. I think Justin would probably agree with me on that. Yeah. I, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, for a while I alternated between uh, a sled, my prowler, and uh, light farmers, depending on how much I hated myself that day after I squatted. Because uh, they're all, they're all, none of them I really uh, enjoy after squatting. So whatever I felt like doing, I would just kind of do it for eight or ten sets or whatever I was doing that day. But yeah, I just, I mean, if you're going to use it for conditioning, I mean, there's no reason to do 300 pounds per hand. But uh, you no know, no one of, can do this. No, yeah, no, or a 175 pound rolling thunder farmer's walk. See ya. Uh, I would say that uh, tip like. Farmers can always be thrown in to whatever conditioning workout you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have to be separate. They can be. But you can always throw them into something else you're doing. And it could be as simple as fucking jump roping in between farmer's walks sets. It and if as- you're uh, a good – I guess a good rule of thumb would be if you, if you can't make it 50 feet with the weight without dropping it multiple times, uh, that's probably too heavy. So go lighter than that. Yeah. I mean, I go like I do it at 50% of my not really 1RM, but I'll do I'll do farmers with 155 pounds per hand to you know to work on my speed or technique because most of the competitions are like 275 to 300. Jeez. Yeah. But hey, dude, and, and just right before we were doing the podcast, I had 
I happened to click on my subscriptions, and Nick Best did a uh, farmer's walk with 405 pounds, 405 pounds per hand for uh, 80 feet, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> I, I'm sure that someone has done that way before, but it's it looked really easy, and he's also in his mid-40s and real jocked. So, and it looked really nice in Vegas today. Kind of sad looking outside. How's it where you're at? How's the weather? It's, it's fair at best. Fair at best. Regular. All right. The, Stephen H. Asks, who has been a fan of the website from the beginning, by the way. He's a cool dude. Oh. I don't recognize the name. Yeah, you do. Oh. It's Kitten Smash. Oh, then I do recognize the name. What, what are some good back rehab moves? Spinal extension hurts my disc. Flexion does not. Been squatting and pulling light, but can't fully lock a DL without excessive pain. Stick to squats and partials. Question, you know what's, question does mark. Does he have a... Is this chronic with him? Um, I, I, I kind of recall talking to him a little bit about it, but I haven't talked to him recently. So um, I like how he says good or back rehab moves, like he's going to do special moves or like dance moves. How do you get... So, the typically with like back stuff, um, when people are just trying to introduce movement, um, it makes me think of like mobility. Because sometimes when you're, uh, if you have a disc issue and you stay off of it, then you kind of uh, you avoid movement altogether because it's painful. So I would think that uh, he's kind of tight at this point. If he wasn't before the injury as well, which may have been why the injury kind of occurred anyway. So. I would encourage him to consistently do mobility work, uh, especially rotational stuff. Um, I'd be curious to know if uh, some light resistance rotation movements uh, hurt because I would, they probably don't. So he can use a cable in a conventional gym or like a, a light band or something and he can uh, hold that out in front of his chest and rotate um, and, and just get a some good like rotation on his lumbar spine and that that along with uh side planks is kind of like my back rehab when when things hurt with most other things then those are the two things that i'll have people do aside from mobility work so side planks and uh resistance rotations but not a lot of weight on the on the rotations because if you get a lot of weight then you start including like your hip extensors or like bigger muscles essentially and we want to work all the little muscles in there um you know get some some uh, range of motion, some blood flow to the area to hopefully help the healing. Uh, so that'd be my recommendation without hearing any more spe specifics. But um, obviously you can test those things by themselves. Uh, you can do side planks against a wall with your elbow up to see if how it feels before you get on the floor. And then you can just rotate your spine standing up with no resistance to see if you can handle the resistance. So that's kind of like the cover my ass on that. I think... Uh... I think a lot more people need to try side planks. I really like them a lot. I think if this is the first, I, I'm really, in the past I've been really inconsistent about them. You know, I've just kind of done them, but now that I program them in, I do them every Wednesday after I'm done training. Uh huh. And uh, I don't know, I've noticed a big difference in how how tight my low back is, or the middle part of my back. Yeah. And, and, then couple, and uh, just different. Just rotational stretches, I think, are really important too. Especially if you sit down a lot each day, because basically your lobes, like your your spinal erectors down in your lower back, can get pretty tight uh, just from sitting down. And and depending on how you sit, like some people sit with their knees out, and that can that can make certain things tight. And some people get their knees in, and that can make certain things tight. So 
rotational stuff kind of helps treat the lower back too. You know who liked rotational stuff? Ricky Brush. Oh yeah, he does the Russian like, twists. Yeah, just looking at his video, just look and how intense he looks. I mean, he's really he's getting after it. <laughs> I, I think I think that dude got after everything. Yeah, it zooms in on his face and he's like, Aah! I mean, yeah. And then, it, uh, which video does he break a break a light out of the ceiling? Every you know, video, awesome. <laughs> every video he does. It's amazing. And then he throws after he revert does a does the curl. He throws it. It's awesome. Oh yeah, uh, and it rolls across the room. <laughs> it's amazing. I love that video. Anyway, math. That's a sweet name. That's a real name, Justin. Math. Don't I don't believe it. You, you don't lies. His picture is really asks, weird too. Like he's doing some gymnastics thing. I don't know what's going on there. What do you think about sprints? How would you program them? He's he must be English because he spelled. Program I was gonna say that the way he spelled program. Two yeah. M's with an E at the end. Uh, well, or he's us. He could be Australian. Maybe he's friends with Tom. Uh, it spells some things funny. I don't know that Australian spell program like that. Ask Tom. Let's get Tom on the line right now. <laughs> we'll wake him up. I don't know what time it is there. All right, so sprints, yeah, they're awesome. Um, that's that's what just a classic conditioning thing. Like A lot of lifters kind of shy away from running because it's awful, but at the same time, being able to do sprints and stuff is kind of like the difference in being a lifter and being athletic, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, um that's so athletic is a debatable term but if you can move around like that's important for all kinds of stuff if you like to go outside and play sports so sprints like just first off just including them um sprints can be as short as 40 meters 40 yards 40 meters or they can be as long as like 400 meters or even 800 which is like more like half a mile but um you can you can just, uh, I know one time in, a, in the case study I did with Dr. Kilgore, and I'll talk about the case study on the site sometime soon. Uh, I'll talk about it again because I haven't talked about it in a few years, but um, one of the workouts I had him do was uh, running 50 meters and then just walking back down, and, and we did that so that he ran a 50 meter on the minute every minute. And it's one of the ones that desaturated his oxygen levels uh, the farthest. So he was down to like 88% oxygen and he started at full oxygen saturation. So like 99% or whatever. And so that was one of the few that desaturated him down like over 10% and it was uh, pretty significant. So there's that, but that's like super high speed. And you don't want to just start sprinting full speed if you haven't done it recently because you can yank a muscle or something. So um, 400 meters with a 200 meter, or excuse me, a 200, Jesus, a two minute rest is kind of like a standard thing or three minute rest whatever and just doing like four four by four hundred is like a classic conditioning work uh conditioning workout so um i talk about that in fit and i give a progression on how to how to decrease the time of your rest periods in order to increase the stress so there's that um but yeah sprints are awesome it just you know it depends on what your goals and how you're going to use them if you're just doing general conditioning then 400s are good did you hear me say justin arbitrarily throughout that statement no. Uh, for whatever reason, you just went to a bunch of static. So either something was wrong at the computer, or we're in Silent Hill now. I think on my end, which is the recording end, it's working, so... Well, as long as we can hear you. Oh, well. The, do 400s, and uh, you can adjust the rest, and it's in fit. So if it didn't pick up on my end, then do that. <laughs> let's, uh, let's make this next one the last one, because... 
I'm let's fucking. Pre- let's do the press question then. All right. Oh, it is I'm reaching my limit right here for sitting down. Let's see. Yeah, I see the and the, not going the, insane. Or this uh, jo- Joss is that isn't Joss? Another sweet name. How would you supplement the press? I.e., are there other shoulder lifts you'd recommend? Yeah, the push press. I like push pressing. This like is, I'm surprised pressing. you wanted to end on this one. This one. Uh, this one's pretty simple. Like we can answer this really quick. Like if he's not well, benching. Than to bench if he could do weighted dips. That's kind of like one of the classic well, let's just, ones. Let's assume that he's benching. Weighted, he's probably benching. Yeah, weighted dips, but you got to make sure you're in external rotation, otherwise keeping your elbows in with the weighted dips. Um, push pressing, and uh, that that's pretty much like compound exercises. And then uh, to go in a different route, using assistance exercises that excuse me, and just generally increase the upper body strength. So like the barbell row the pull-up, the chin-up, or weighting the pull-up and the chin-up. Like, uh, typically, uh, filling out the upper body is something that'll help with the upper body strength. So guys that need more musculature in their upper back or their uh, arms uh, by getting more, just stronger overall will help them press. So, and of course, like, the press is kind of weird. Like, how you program it can can change, uh, can affect its progress. So, um, you can you know try using triples and you can use ascending fives and ascending triples and stuff to play around with it and but yeah those assistance exercises will work anything else to add what all i got man i you know, i mean i like push pressing i like i mean i like dips i wish i need to buy some rings ring dips suck ring push-ups are uh when you say Brett, when you say they Brett suck Kim. do you mean it's hard to do them or that they are just a sucky exercise they're hard to do okay just to clarify, uh, def- definitely not a sucky exercise. Uh, but Brett really likes. Uh, I think it's it's Brett Keim. That's his name, I think. It's a uh, Bront Cum. Oh, oh, Bront Crum. Okay. Uh, yeah, he likes ring push-ups, and he really likes. Uh, he's been doing those since he stopped benching. I'm sorry, since he quit benching. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna hit this hit this other question up really quick by Tori. Um, they were reading Fit the other day, which is the book that I wrote with Dr. Hartman and Dr. Kilgore, and he said that um, he recalls that we said the rower was a really good conditioning tool, or at least one of the better ones. And he says, "Do you still believe this? And uh, would you program it like your usual recommendation of mo- no more than five to eight minutes?" And I kind of talked about it earlier, but yeah, the rower is a good tool because there's no impact on the joints. Uh, the problem is that it costs money. So like, if you wanted something similar you could get an airdyne maybe on craigslist for under a hundred dollars because rowers are upwards of i don't know over five hundred dollars if you're going to get a good concept two rower so usually closer to the 900 mark new i think so uh, if you're in a gym then yeah any kind of rowing is good and you could even just sit on it and just row just for some low intensity conditioning if you don't do any conditioning at all so yeah i still like the rower and uh you could still use it in that five to ten minute range and you can do a lot of real high intensity shit on there, like Tabata rows, and then rowing uh, 500 meter intervals, or even rowing 250 meter intervals on that. All out is pretty intense. So, well, Mike. Well, Justin. It was uh, it was good to get back, knock some of the rust off. We'll try and make this more of a regular thing. Um, so we need it, to. so that means it's not going to be. In other words, right? <laughs> Yeah, because Justin and I don't talk unless we do the podcast. When we say that we're going to do it next week. Insert sad face. When we say we're going to do it next week, that means we're going to do it in 2016. 
Not really. That's, uh, 2018. Okay. And then uh, we're going to leave you with this. Take your toy back to the carpet. Take it back! Hey, Justin. I think I've got a uh, um, something that everyone can do this next week. I think they should somehow integrate that into a conversation. Take the toy back to the carpet? No, just back to the carpet. Back to the carpet. Yeah, just you don't have to say Norland's voice. You just get, just get back to the carpet, and then they'll be like, "Huh?" I think you should say carpet though, what? not carpet. Say carpet. Back to the cop, the carpet. The carpet. Like, tell someone to go back to the carpet. Take it back to the carpet. Yeah. What do you want me to do with this book? Take it back to the carpet. Take it back to the carpet. Take it back. <laughs> and then get really then, aggressive. Yeah. Then yell that part at him. That'll yeah. Yeah, so so do that, and then uh, write in uh, in the comments uh, what your experience was let doing it, that. Let us know how it worked out for you. <laughs> you get fired. Like, hey, hey, man, I got fired at work. We're at a meeting, and they're like, does anyone else have anything? And, yeah, that, I said that, and it was over. No one laughed. Well, you shouldn't have worked there anyway. All right, we're done. Thank you for listening to the 70s Big Podcast. Justin Lassick, Mike, see ya. Bye, Mike.